0: We would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is produced, the Wajak Noongar people, and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Courtney, welcome back.
1: Hi, Craig. How are you going?
0: Yeah, very well, thank you. Uh, Yeah, we're just sitting here after having had another great conversation with Taryn Wiramanthri.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was really, really good. Yeah. Everyone's going to really enjoy this conversation when they hear it next.
0: Yeah. So we won't go into it in too much detail because it is a pretty in-depth chat about the Climate Health WA inquiry, mm-hmm. which Taryn led, uh, and there's many, many aspects to that inquiry in the report. Um, but yeah, there's to say you'll get a bit of a, an idea of how Taryn approaches things and how he, he works at, at issues and collects evidence to, to try and inform good solutions to problems.
1: Yeah. And if you want to hear a little bit more about Taryn's background, we do have another episode with him. So this is technically part two of our little series with yeah. Taryn. Um, so yeah, if you want to learn more about like, who he is and, and what he's done previously, we do have another episode that yeah. you should absolutely listen to because he is an amazing talker. Like, he's he's yeah. very knowledgeable and very good at expressing his, his uh, yeah. opinions and ideas. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, listen to that. But they are independent, so you don't have to listen to that episode before you listen to this one.
0: That's right. So go and have a listen to that one if you like. Yes. Uh, and by all means, please carry on listening to this one. Enjoy. <laughs> Uh, all right, so it gives me the great pleasure to welcome Professor Taryn Wiromatri back to the podcast. Welcome back.
2: Morning, Craig. Good to be here. Hi, Courtney.
1: Hello. Yeah, it's good to have everyone back, I think. Yeah. It's been a while since you've been here. It's really good to kind of organize something again.
0: That's, that's right. Yeah, it's a bit of a triumph, yeah. um, you know, over adversity to get you back on. <laughs> <laughs> had a few false starts. Yeah, had some false starts. <laughs>
2: well, we, we waited six months and uh, July 2021 is feeling a bit like July 2020. It so is. maybe Everything yeah. goes around in circles. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. That's it.
0: Yeah, we, we sort of were cautious, cautiously optimistic in December, I think it was last year. Yeah. yeah. When we last spoke, and uh, yeah, we're back sort of... Going around again, so yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah,
1: and hopefully this time we will actually focus on climate, whereas last time we didn't. But yeah. we've got an agenda for this one. <laughs> I've been
0: very focused on climate this last week because I've been underwater. So well, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we've had a lot of it's rain. All the rain. Yeah, yeah. So fortunately, I haven't had any flooding or anything, but it's been very inclement. And yeah, have a lot of new
1: plants growing out of our small, tiny puddles all around the house now. So yeah,
2: <laughs> so, I did the question last night: Is did we get the gutters clean? Before yeah. winter, we, not, neither of us could remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you're
0: better off leaving that question until the summer, and then yeah, yeah then it's <laughs> easy to clean. That's fine. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, so we are here to talk about um, the climate health. I forget the official title: climate
2: Climate um, Health WA Inquiry. That's yeah. right.
0: Yeah, which you were the inquirer leading that that inquiry. That's right. Um, and we thought we'd have a look at this. From the perspective of where we are today and have a look back and see how you know how things sit and what, what the outlook is going forward based on what you found in that inquiry um, do you, do you, just to give people a bit of a background do you just want to quickly talk about how the inquiry was done and you know some of the challenges you might have faced and then
2: sure I'm yeah. happy to so I might just kind of reflect a bit on where we are right now yes. yeah and then go back if that's okay yeah so that that that's the good. context yeah you, uh, you wanted to talk about. So here we are in, um, you know, mid to late July 2021. Um, We're about 100 days or so away from COP26 in Glasgow. Mm -hmm. Now, what people would have heard this term COP26, it's COP stands for Council of Parties, which basically is the um, annual meeting of all governments um, around um, climate change. Um, But some meetings have more significance than others. So people will remember Paris Mm. 2015, they'll remember Copenhagen 2008, and they may remember Mm. Kyoto in the 1990s. Mm -hmm. But there are actually meetings every year. Mm -hmm. Um, But every so often there's a kind of build-up of momentum, so some meetings become particularly important in terms of decision-making. And this meeting was due to be held November last year in Glasgow, Mm -hmm. but was postponed a year because of COVID. Yep. Now that's led us... Uh, to a couple of things. One is that this meeting in November now is um, going to be around the same time as the release of the next IPCC report, Mm -hmm. which is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which only comes out every five or six years. Okay. And so what they're doing is, and there's always a series of reports which go up, which um, lead to the main report. And so there's a scientific report, there's a policy report, there's various other reports, and then there are big reports in between times as well. But when people hear the term IPCC, it's really landmark. Mm-hmm. And the last one was 2014, something like that, so quite a long time ago, because it takes so long for the scientists to just reassess everything and put it together in you know massive you know volumes of, of scholarship. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's an international process, and everything's triple checked, et cetera. Um, and th- there will be release of some of those findings over the next few months in the in the lead up to cop twenty six. And then it's for all of the governments to come together mm-hmm. and to reassess the commitments they made in Paris. So Paris was important in that there was agreement to try and limit global warming to under one point five degrees um, overall, on mm-hmm. average. Um, if we possibly can, and definitely to try and get it under two degrees. Okay. By a certain time or? By a certain time, but hopefully, you know. Ongoing. On, ongoing, yeah, right? Okay. So, yeah. so, so no. never have it. Never have it two. beyond that. Yeah. Okay. Okay? That's yeah. the idea. Mm-hmm. And then people made certain commitments. So Australia's commitment is 26 to 28% um, over its baseline um, um, uh, levels, so emissions reductions, and every and the these were not mandatory everyone had voluntary contributions yeah. um the issue is that even in t- even when they made those contributions in paris it was definitely not enough even if everyone had done it to to keep global warming below 2 mm-hmm. huh. it was going to keep it below 3ish or something like that okay you know, on probability. Mm-hmm. And so it was expected that people would ratchet up their contributions year, you know, every couple of years. So it wasn't meant to be the end point it was meant to be the starting point mm-hmm. to say, let's all do something and then let's ratchet up our contributions, yeah. see what the data is. But
1: it was kind of treated as a as an endpoint, wasn't it? I feel like that's kind of what I remember from this Paris Agreement is like, these are the goals we need to meet and then we're good. Like that's, yeah, Pre- from a community Pre- perspective, yeah. that's what I kind of felt was the message.
2: And I think you're right, Courtney. Yeah. And I think that's a misreading of mm. it, but it's a convenient misreading if yeah. you like. that so We don't need to do any more than that. Yeah. Mm. Well, we all need to do more than that. Mm-hmm. And what's even more disappointing is that most countries haven't even met the, um, starting, points. the starting points of what they said they were going mm. to do. Mm. And there's some debate about whether Australia is or isn't meeting its commitments. <laughs> yes. all technicalities. So it's technicalities. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. essentially the emissions track for the world is still going up. Yeah. Right. So that's the bottom line, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can talk all you like, but we're still bumping up emissions. Right. And we're on track for a a world that is three to five degrees warmer. Mm. Um, and this is... Um, we're seeing the effects right now. So if you've opened your, the papers or listened to the radio in the last few weeks, we've heard about the heat waves yeah. in Canada and the yeah. United States. Yeah, f- 54 degrees or something yeah. in some yeah. places. Yeah, yeah, which is crazy. Yeah. And we're in the Olympics, you know, and yeah. if the 100-metre um, record was to be broken by one second... You know, if someone ran eight seconds mm. in yeah. the 100-metre final, you'd probably think there was something wrong, <laughs> Yeah, right, and yeah. you'd want a bit of a drug test. Yeah, yeah of course. And you'd, you'd suspect performance-enhancing drugs. Yeah. We're at that point with climate. Mm-hmm. The records aren't being <laughs> we're broken. We're enhancing it. <laughs> we're, not being, we're not breaking the record by point 0.1. Mm. We're breaking it by whole degrees mm. now. Right. So Will Stephan, who's one of the um, outstanding climate scientists in Australia, um, said in 2013, mm-hmm. we have a climate on steroids after a particularly hot summer. mm mm-hmm. That was 2013. Mm -hmm. Think about all that's happened since then. Seven, eight years ago now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it's interesting. I think uh, it's become a little bit more clear in people's minds um, because of all the bushfires and things that have happened. I think the messaging around all those kind of events that have happened in Australia and around the world have this tag of, this is because of climate change now, which wasn't, I guess, in my perspective, it wasn't there in 2013, but it is there now. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Interesting. So yeah. I can go back. So I think, you're, again, you're exactly right, Courtney, mm. and I think it's changed quite quickly. Yeah. Mm. So we got, we got the message in over the 2019-2020 bushfire season mm-hmm. in Australia. Even though we were in the Western Australia, we, everyone got the message, right? Yep. These, yeah. these were extraordinary um, mm. bushfires. And then, remember, a year later, there were the floods, yeah. which were extensive, and yeah. they were also attributable, potentially, to climate change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, remember, in Western Australia earlier this year, um, we had the cyclone mm-hmm. that yeah. crossed Kal- Calbaric, yes. yeah. which is lots further south mm-hmm. than normal. Yeah. Now, we haven't had the analysis of that yet, but that was predicted in terms of climate change right. mm-hmm. that you'd have cyclones coming further south. Mm-hmm. All right? So, we've had all of those little warnings here in Australia. Still hasn't kind of triggered the change, yeah. but right. this is part of a global phenomenon. So, you think of those Canadian US heat waves. You also n- know that there's heat now. Um, those heat records have being broken from Russia down into, you know, the Middle East, mm. from North Africa through to Asia, mm-hmm. okay, those heat waves. Mm. And we've also seen floods now, unprecedented, you know, unprecedented. I hate to use that word, unprecedented, <laughs> because it's so overused, <laughs> yeah. but mm. it's sim- we, we need other words. Yeah. Mm. Um, but we've seen those in Germany and Belgium. Mm-hmm. But we've also seen those massive floods in China and then most recently in India, causing hundreds of deaths. Yeah. Okay, so what we are, the climate scientists are busy working on the exact attribution, mm-hmm. but there are now rapid attribution mechanisms where people um, are saying and have already analysed the Northwest, um, Pacific Northwest heat waves and saying this would be almost. Um, unthinkable without climate change, right. without right. the human contribution.
1: And mm-hmm. so they use I, – I guess they would use prediction models to be like if the temperature was this like 0.5 lower, then they would be able to predict when or where I those – Don't, things ask, don't yeah. ask a climate scientist. Oh. As
2: I think I said to you last it time, I, I, I find like it <laughs> hard to understand the weather – Oh, you know, watching the news, yeah. Yeah. I'll defer any knowledge lines. of meteorology to climate <laughs> scientists. Yeah. I do trust the weather guys, yeah. and then, therefore I trust the climate guys. Yeah. They're, they're yeah. good scientists, yeah. right? Yeah. And they've been right. That's the mm-hmm. other thing. Yeah. they exactly right. They've also mm-hmm. been conservative and cautious. Mm-hmm. And as scientists are, and when you have a consensus process like we talked about with the IPCC, Mm. It always has to be a kind of cautious, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's what and you're not going to make outlandish predictions if you've got hundreds of scientists coming in and making a report. You're going to yeah. come to something that's reasonable. And the criticism is now is is well the scientists were too cautious, which is kind of extraordinary. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, we've got exactly where we said we would and probably earlier. Yeah. And then for the kind of politicians or whatever, or the media commentators say, well, those scientists got it wrong, which is kind of <laughs> crazy when they've been denying it all along. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And we're in that horrible situation where you deny it, you say you're not responsible, and then you say, well, it did happen, but it's too late. Yeah. yeah. You know, and then it's cynical to the point of you know, crying about it, to be honest. Yeah. Um, anyway, so if we go back to what you said, Courtney, yeah. <laughs> when we started the inquiry, the Climate Health WA inquiry, um it was um around march 2019 and we knew we had a year to do it yeah. so i was going to deliver a report by march 2020 and at the point then the 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 kind of um what we attempted to do was to say that climate change was real that it, it was a real health issue physical and mental health mm-hmm. that it was urgent and and Um, that it was happening now and here in Western Australia. At the time we started the inquiry, there were still climate denialists around and we wondered how much we'd have to battle climate change isn't real. And there was a whole lot of people who didn't understand that it was a health issue. People just saw it as an environmental issue. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The 2019-2020 bushfires changed all that. Right. There's Almost all those ex-climate denialists are now accepting that there is climate change, but they're saying, well, it's too expensive to do anything about mm. it, but they've moved their position. Yeah. And everyone is accepting now that it's a health issue, mm. mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. I think we've got more to do in that space to say exactly how it's a health issue, yeah. but I think that's shifted. So when I came to write, well, when we came to write, it was a team effort, the final report in March 2020, I could look back on that, se- on that bushfire season and say, well, Australia's really changed now. Yeah. Everyone gets gets this and, the for example, the health effects of um, fires and smoke and, you know, effects on people's respiratory health was so obvious I didn't have mm. to explain it, whereas mm. when I started the report, I wondered how am I going to explain this to people because mm. it's quite complex, it is, yeah. you know, the environmental health yep. and respiratory stuff. Mm-hmm. By the end of the summer, I thought hey, this is Everyone easy. Knows. Everyone knows it. <laughs> yeah. It's self-explanatory. You right? really. yeah, can mm. literally
1: see the effects in your population and you know people who have been affected by Correct. It, so it's easier.
0: And that's the short-term effects. Think of the mm. the enduring effects, the mental health effects and yeah. that sort of thing, the grief and loss and stuff that people suffer. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: We should come back to that yeah. side of things, yeah, that's okay? Yeah, so yeah. That in terms of what are those health effects? Yep. All right, let's, so let's do that. Yep. So then if you think about it, um, cl- there's a publication by the Climate and Health Alliance which says, Um, in terms of communicating the effects of climate change, which says Real Urgent Now is the title. So real, yep, tick, Urgent, I think people get that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think they're increasingly getting now, mm-hmm. right, because you just read it and it, clearly this isn't about the next 10 years. It's about right now mm. and the next 10 years. Right. Love mm-hmm.
1: the acronym as well, RUN. Right, <laughs> Yes, exactly. RUN. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs>
2: yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I'd shift that now. To, and I, what I also said was in, in the WA report was here. So what mm-hmm. we did in the climate health inquiry was um, – Personalise it to WA, mm-hmm. if you know, like mm-hmm. regionalize it to this state, which yeah. is
1: so important because yep. yeah, it makes it real for the people in the state. Mm. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. And mm. so, you, I think there's a there's a a picture of our state in the inquiry where we've broken up into the seven regions and we've given specific health effects in each region. Mm. And what I've recently discussed is, wouldn't it be great if we had that picture for all of Australia? Mm-hmm. You know, so each part of Australia had, you know, a few regions and we could see the different effects right across Australia. So I think we need that regional approach to say that it's here. Yeah. Okay. So um, um, the other thing that's changed when I – and this is finished the report in March 2020. It didn't get released till um, November 2020. That's fine because of all of the COVID stuff last year. Mm -hmm. And it got released in the same – weak as the state climate policy, so they're well aligned in terms of oh, recommendations, yeah. the findings and recommendations, and I'm very pleased about that. That's sensible, yeah. Yep. Very sensible. Mm. But I honestly thought in March 2020 we had 10 years, and so that was my – the whole thing is, mm-hmm. let's get going now. We've wasted the last 10 years, mm-hmm. basically. Yep. yep. S- sorry to say it. That's yep. the quickest way <laughs> to say it, enough, it. You said yep. a lost decade. A lost decade. Yeah. Yep. A lost decade. Yeah. But – We've got to be optimistic. We've got to be um, committed to doing the changes we need to make. Health's got to lead. We've got to, um, and our sector's got to move now. Yeah. And let's get going over the next 10 years. Um, but we have to get going now. And that would seem to be urgent enough because that's like half a generation. Mm. It's not very much at all. It's no. Just, uh, so it's just a tiny amount of time, really. Yeah. I think we've got less time than that now. Mm-hmm. Right. So a year later, I think we've got five years. Okay. So
1: why that change in perspective?
2: I think we'll I think you'll see it coming out of the IPCC new report. Right. Mm-hmm. I think the science is is going to be even more frightening. I think we're we'll get more idea about the effects of you know things like methane as mm-hmm. well as carbon dioxide. We're going to have mm-hmm. um, the hardening up of the climate predictions. We've all had all these extreme weather events now that we're factoring in, and i I will say you previously had to remember when we had the bushfires. Over that terrible summer. People were saying, prove to us that it's climate change. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, sitting back, cross your arms. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we've always had extreme weather. Australia's always been hot. Prove to us. Yeah. And then we'd say, well, look at the records. You know, we're you know, the degree, the number of times we're breaking these records, the persistent trends, and we'd show them the data, right? Or the climate scientists would show the data. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it's the scientists are saying um, the, the null hypothesis is that this is extreme yeah. events are related to climate change, mm-hmm. and you have to disprove it. Yeah. yeah. And people actually get that because right. it's so um, implausible. Mm. Mm. We're just pumping so much energy into the atmosphere. Yeah. It's got to go somewhere. That's right. right? And it's coming through in these extreme weather events and and the changes we're seeing. So it's not just a long-term trend. It's now these extreme events mm-hmm. And they're not one in 100 years. So when people say, oh, it's a one in 100 years, they're not. They're one in 20 years or they're one yeah. in 10 years or they're way more frequent than that. So yeah. we have to recalibrate that's right. all of this stuff and we've got to be prepared for that. Um, so we've got five years, I think. Now, yeah. if you – and I think that will build, that understanding will build between now and Christmas and early next year. So Glasgow becomes critical mm. um, in terms of how the world – you know, redoubles its efforts, um, and it's it's the years delay has meant that there has been a change of administration in the US. Mm-hmm. So there has been more likelihood, or there is more likelihood now, of real action by the US, yeah, yeah. which is a good thing. Yeah, That's, that was front and centre of Biden's, you know, it was um, yeah. platform, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. On the other hand, though, the failure of the world to come together over COVID. Mm -hmm. and ensure vaccine equity, people are now writing that that has led to a breakdown of trust Mm -hmm. Mm. between developed and developing countries because the developed countries, let's face it, have said, well, we'll protect our citizens first and then we'll even maybe booster their vaccine whilst at the same time, you know, healthcare workers in poorer countries aren't even being protected. So that's not a good place to be. No. So these two things are related. How we respond as a global community. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have to quickly get our act together around this and and show some commitment to um, fairness and equity. Mm. You know, as a global community, we won't otherwise we won't get on top of COVID and we won't get on to address climate change. And I
1: think that's something that you can see within the community as well. Like when I talk to people about the whole vaccine thing. Um, kind of the general consensus is that we should get vaccinated first and you know that's because we're important we should get vaccinated first when in reality we shouldn't we should actually be putting our resources towards the globe who needs it first that's my perspective at least yeah. um and it's it's so interesting that we're sending our unused vaccines to um other countries now because of the whole two different brands of vaccines yeah we can talk about that later mm. um But there is this sense of, like, we need to protect ourselves first and then maybe we can look after everyone else. And it'll be interesting to see that applied to climate change. Yeah so, terrible, let's, 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 yeah, so that's a, that's that's a bigger a issue. It's bigger. That's a So I, I actually think issues. we can do both. I think yeah. we need to be
2: fair in Australia yeah. and use our manufacturing capacity so for, help. you know, incredibly effective vaccine in AstraZeneca and get that out to our region. And we are yeah. doing, to be fair, we are doing that. Yeah.
1: Absolutely.
2: Getting so. a, getting our supply out to our region, which is a good role to have. Yeah. But I think as a world, mm. we need to do better. So Absolutely. I'm um, less critical of Australia in, in the COVID space and yeah. the vaccine space than I am the climate change space. Mm, I, I mm-hmm. think the message that gets lost
0: for the, the average person is that we really are dependent on what happens elsewhere. Yes. Yep. And because variants and these sorts of things pop up when things aren't controlled. Yep. yep. And so leaving the African continent or, you know, other continents just f- for the virus to run wild yep. has impacts on us because those things end up here at some point, the, yep. you know, experience. And
1: I guess that's why we need that global consensus for things like climate change yep. where... Also Everything that we all do affects each other. So yeah. our like CO two emissions can affect other yeah. continents. And like it needs to be a global That's right. uh, pact.
3: Yeah.
2: So, I'm, so I'm gonna I'm gonna finish my thing around <laughs> yep. time. Because yes. it, for me it's the sense of urgency now that we have to yeah. get onto. So I've said five years, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Five years. Five years is pretty much the term of the this government in Western Australia and the next federal government, yeah. federal yeah. election. Okay, the federal government. Mm-hmm. You think um, the WA government was elected in March 2021 mm-hmm. or yeah. and yeah. has a four-year term to March 2025. It's mm-hmm. one term of government. We'll have a federal election for the three-year term. And that's basically one term of oh. government, right? And we have oh, to have moved and shown progress. Yeah. That's not a lot of time. Yeah. Mm. So, you know... The urgency is that we can't keep talking about this now. We have Mm -hmm. to actually show and demonstrate action. So Mm. that's that's important. Um,
1: Is it doable? Yes. In five years?
2: Absolutely. Um, So let's go back to COVID. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. You think about so my thinking has been around that question around is it doable and barriers. Yeah. Okay. There's actually a good body of literature. Let's talk about health for a second. That says that the health sector is now aware of this as an issue, wants to show leadership, needs a bit more training, and um, so that they can, you know, champions can go out mm. and talk to the public about it. But there's some barriers there in terms of how we are trained, both in terms of the content and in terms of our communication. But people are willing to do this now, and you see this with all the professional colleges, with the students. You know, with the unions, everyone Mm -hmm. in health gets that this is an issue and wants to do something about it. So let's just accept that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But the literature says there are particular barriers that you need to overcome. If you think about that in a global context and you think about vaccine development, The normal time to develop a vaccine was 10 years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that was because there were a number of processes to be got through. Mm -hmm. You had to be able to de-risk it financially. You had to go through regulatory barriers. You had to go through clinical trials, et cetera. We've managed to develop an unbelievable number of effective approved vaccines in not 10 years, but 10 months. Mm. And that's not by taking any shortcuts. Mm. All of the processes have been followed, but what you've done is de-risk it and remove the barriers. Mm -hmm. So what used to take 10 years now takes 10 months, but it's the same quality process. Mm -hmm. And in fact, you could say it's been even higher standard because you've had so many people in clinical trials. The post-marketing surveillance has been so great. Mm. What that tells us is that what we thought was insuperable had to take ten years. You know, Col- Courtney, calm down. It'll take yeah. <laughs> it'll t- it'll take a while. You know, you're just not experienced enough. I've been around a long time and you can't do it that fast. Yeah. Well actually Courtney you can. can. Yeah. yeah. And people should be saying um, we need to do it in this time. And what what do we have to do to get there? And how do we take the barriers away? Mm. Not, oh, we've done it before and it took ten years, so therefore, you know, maybe we can do it in nine, but you know, mm. we have to radically change our mindset here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, all the solutions to climate action are right there, right now. Yeah. And like everything, you know, that twenty, um, that twenty forty film by Damon Gamo, mm-hmm. is basically saying the future is already here. It's just in small pockets. Right. We haven't scaled it up. Mm-hmm. Right. So, if you think about that thing around um, waste recycling, when mm-hmm. China said we're not going to take your waste,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know. 2018 or whenever that was, I can't remember. And suddenly Australia has now developed, you know, a plastics recycling industry mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we have to do it because we were forced to do it yep. previously. No no financial incentive. Mm-hmm. It's easier to ship it off to China. Mm. The quality of it was really, really poor. Mm-hmm. Um, but suddenly we have to do it, right? We have no choice. We have no choice. Mm. So, yes, we can do it. Mm. Yes, all the answers are there. We need to find ways to um uh, to remove the barriers, and we also need to do stop doing silly stuff. We need to <laughs> – so that was a – I think we talked about it, maybe you talked about it last time. Obama's mm. foreign policy mm. uh, was don't do silly stuff. Mm. Mm. You know, Don't get into situations you can't get yourself that's out of. Right, don't make yeah. statements. And he probably failed, failed to <laughs> remind himself on, o, about that a couple of times, but that's another question. <laughs> yeah. But we shouldn't do silly stuff like subsidising things, um, like fossil fuels, mm, new coal mines, mm-hmm. and, and new coal yeah, mines. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a kind of a market kind of person. I get mm-hmm. that you need. But um, I'm also a, a fairness kind of person. Um, but don't subsidise. Yeah. Don't government subsidise things that the private sector would not invest in. That's right. Yeah. And for what reason? I mean, this is just silly stuff. If you're going to let the market, if you believe in the market, well, let the market operate. Yeah. If it's if something's going to fail, then. You, know, you don't film. just step in mm. and subsidize it for yeah. what reason for for political reasons and a few votes now, yeah, so that's just a waste of money mm. and and if you're trying to do something over here and with your right hand and your left hand is you know if you're pushing with your right hand and pulling with yeah. your left mm. kind of thing's happening just yeah. stop pulling with your left hand just yeah. let you know let them let let things happen fairly, yeah. Instead of starting the day by punching yourself in the face yeah. and then trying to get through it. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> so there's, there's a whole lot of don't do stupid stuff and then yeah. Yeah. there is other good stuff you can do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just, just
0: quickly on that, obviously there's a private sector and a public sector role here. Yeah. My inkling is that the private sector is, is really quite bullish about making um, progress with climate change and moving to a cleaner energy economy and, and not just energy companies. I'm talking about all business. Yeah. You know, also because
1: it's interesting and it's like innovative and new tech yeah. and all that kind of stuff. It gets and people excited. It so. is, yeah.
0: and it scares them to think that we're going to be suffering tariffs in the EU and all these sort of things, which which will happen if we don't do that you know, sooner rather than later. How do you see that balance between private and public sector playing out?
2: Um, so people much cleverer than me in, in, you know, who think about economics and all of the other relationships should comment on that. Yeah. Um, and so I, I just stick to my stuff, which I know, mm. which is health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And I just kind of listen avidly to climate scientists and, you know, respect them, but also respect others mm. who have different bodies of knowledge in economics and and stuff. And mm. I don't pretend to. Have a comment. We don't have to all be experts on everything. On everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not definitely. even an expert on health, you know, yeah. I'm still struggling to understand health, right? <laughs> yeah. So I'm not gonna start commenting. Yeah. And part of the problem is we need to create good processes to capture that expert input mm. and have those conversations without everyone doing everyone else's job. Yeah. Right? Um, so if you have trained for five years in meteorology I'm actually more interested in your opinion than mine right mm-hmm. who's watched the news for five <laughs> yeah. years right you know I mean, there's, there's a serious difference in expertise there yeah. Yeah. so let's hear it but your point about um, you know um, tariffs from the EU if that's the way things are going I mean in our climate health inquiry we wrote a bit about the financial um, developments in the finance industries and in the insurance industries in Mm -hmm. governance for both private sector and public sector. And clearly the private sector governance requirements to deal with climate risks just like other risks is also now flowing through to public sector governance. Mm -hmm. And that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. And the private sector leading that, but immediately has impacts around the responsibilities of all directors. Um, And, you know, it seems to me with my non-expert hat on, that it's crazy to provide a tariff or money to other countries to get our goods into other countries rather than imposing that tariff on ourselves and having our government use that money. Yeah. So, you know, why would you mm. why wouldn't you have <laughs> the internalize the tax so yeah. that our government could spend it? On, on reinvesting, I mean, guess what? We used to have a carbon tax yeah, or a, car- a price on carbon, brief, whatever you want to say. a yeah, brief tax. Yeah. You know, and it worked. Yeah. You saw the decline in emissions for those periods. Mm. And then since it's been, um, you know, since it's been abolished, there's been that slow rise again. Mm. And a lot of the credit people are taking for what we've done, you know, over the last 10 years or whatever it is, actually is from that period. Right. So, so
1: why was it uh, abolished? Why did we get rid of, of it?
2: That was the tax. That was the oh, yeah. election twenty thirteen, or oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah, t- okay. Tony
0: Abbott is, is the main reason why it was abolished, it, because <laughs> okay. he got re-elected on that platform. Yeah, right. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: Fair enough. Or yeah. re-elected, re- he got elected on that platform. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Anyway, so I'm not talking yeah. about the politics, no, but no, I'm saying,
2: no. No. again, don't do silly stuff. Yeah. Don't pay money to other people, <laughs> yeah. which you could keep for yourself. And you know, see the improvements. And see yeah. the improvements and, and reinvest in our own country. Mm. Yeah. The other kind of thing that I've been struck by as someone who reads in this, in this area but is not expert in it, is that idea about having a commitment um, to people in various communities and not to specific jobs. So let's say we're going through this transition in Collie at the moment mm-hmm. where um, there is a tr- planned transition which the WA government are managing away from coal to other things. Mm-hmm. So you have to have an undeniable commitment to the people of Collie and to their future mm-hmm. and to a just transition, not just a commitment to a specific job. Right. Right. So, you know, Craig, I, I can't promise you that you will have your specific job forever, but I am absolutely promise you that I, as government, we will support you mm-hmm. and we will help you. So if you can transition, mm-hmm. but also it's a commitment to your to your to the people who come after you, whether right. it's your kids or you know your nephews and nieces or whatever it is mm-hmm. that we're not going to just set them up to fail by having by continuing to subsidize jobs that would no longer be there we're going to actually create the new the new economy and the new jobs for them yeah. and for you mm-hmm. okay so this is where a f- you know we have got enough wealth to be able to do a welfare safety net just transition you know these are choices we make with our expenditure and we can do this yeah Re- investing in re-education yeah. and that sort of thing, right? Retraining. Yeah. Because yeah. it's about hope versus fear, right? Yeah. You know, and this is what politics is about. Are we going to give you a hopeful f- future mm. or are we just going to get you stuck by giving you a message of fear Yeah. so you vote for us? I know. Which,
0: you know, the lowest <laughs> hanging fruit often is the yeah. fear message, isn't it? Yeah. easiest yeah. Yeah. one. It's, uh, you know, everything that you're saying is makes a lot of sense, but it's so hard. You can't disentangle the politics from it, can you? Because essentially that Is de facto driving a lot of these policies? Is people's fears and um, political
2: ideologies and that sort of thing? Well, can we get back to the climate inquiry then? And just so um, I want to go back to the way we framed our findings and recommendations to address that issue. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I was asked by the, you know, it it was an initiative from the minister for health, asked the chief health officer to. Um, provide a statutory inquiry to the impacts of climate change on health. Uh, And there was the first such inquiry under the new Public Health Act 2016. And um, the the chief health officer asked me um, to conduct the inquiry on his behalf, um, which I was happy to do. Mm -hmm. But I was clearly asked to do so because I had experience in government. I wasn't an expert in climate change, um, but I could take what people said and put it into a form that would be um, understandable and lead to a positive pathway forward and also align with the state climate policy, which was being developed at the same time, with the knowledge that this would be tabled in parliament. So it would be you know a serious um, bit of work mm-hmm. and would have scrutiny, et cetera. So that, that is intrinsically political, if you like, right. but it's also around you know, the legitimate job of mm-hmm. politics, which mm-hmm. is to drive change, be transparent, be accountable. Um, but, you know, you'd be silly to say that you could just, uh, you know, I wasn't asked as a random person to come in and just, <laughs> yeah. you know, tell me what you think. You know, there, there's, a, there's a context there. There's mm-hmm. a political context which which I understood from working in government. Mm-hmm. So one of the things was around coming up with recommendations that align with other, recommend, with, align with other processes, so the state climate policy, mm-hmm. so being aware of that. Understanding um, the context around um, language and making sure that your language is measured, and um, you can say certain challenging stuff, but you say it in a way that's that is um, um, res- res- respectful of all parties, um, and is likely, hopefully, to get bipartisan support, and is also likely to be practical and achievable. Um, it's not a and. One of the things that the Director General of Health said to me was, don't give us too many recommendations. Like, you know, don't give us 150 recommendations. (laughs) And I've been on the receiving end of that as a senior health person. It's just overwhelming. It's just overwhelming. You spend the next three years just trying to track the recommendations and the follow-up and it all becomes a bit... Unmanageable. Unmanageable. And it's not actually useful as part of the change process. Mm -hmm. So I thought, that's fair enough. So let's go for 10 findings, 10 recommendations. That's a reasonable number for a year's work. And then it also forces you up to a higher level. Mm-hmm. Yep. And there's a whole lot of other stuff. There's, in fact, 100 recommendations if you read the report. Mm. But if you don't do the first 10, if you don't do these top 10, you're not going to get to the others. Yep. Um, and, in fact, there's really only one recommendation, <laughs> <which> <laughs> the, and that's about sustain, setting up the Sustainable Development Unit yep. Yep. Um, in WA Health. And um, that's been committed to. hasn't happened as yet. Okay. But it's hopefully will happen this year. Yep. And that's uh, soon. Um, and that's that's uh, based on the NHS? Based on the NHS. Yep. Okay. Which was, again, referred to in the Sustainable Health Review, which was the trigger for the climate inquiry. And so really, it's a continuation of thought. Mm-hmm. And we were able to look at that model in much more detail and it, and suggest a similar model in WA. Okay. So yeah. not, not unusual for government to go through those kinds of processes. Yep. And, um, I'll just interrupt. The yep.
1: NHS is National Health Service. Yeah. I'm in, not sure whether everyone would know UK. that.
2: <laughs> yeah. Okay. So if you don't mind, can I just go through the findings and recommendations? Yeah, and yeah just, please. But also in terms of that framing around the context? Yeah, yes. because
1: quick, very quickly, the findings, you know, for such a, I guess, a dire topic, they're very positive. Like it's, it, mm. yeah, positive language. is Quite very hopeful. Cool. Yeah. yeah, hopeful. Hope- yeah. So, yeah, please yeah. go through them.
2: So our guiding, our guiding theme was make hope practical. Mm. Mm-hmm not despair convincing, comma, not despair convincing. So it's easy and often on a bad day you'll get overwhelmed by this stuff Mm. and pessimistic and you need others to support you. This is a team effort. We've all got our roles and responsibilities and that has to come through. Mm -hmm. So one shouldn't and part of the problem is, you know, the mental health impacts. Mm -hmm. Um, And people are worried that people will despair after the next IPCC report comes out Mm -hmm. because we'll all say, could we have done more? And that's a legitimate question. Yeah. All of us, citizens, Mm -hmm. you know, organisations, politics, everybody, Everybody. civil society, everyone will go, oh, my goodness, what have we done? Yeah. Um, So let's see, but we have to support each other to make the changes we've talked about. So um, the first thing, the first finding was the next decade is vital to address irreversible climate risk. So the climate scientists were right 20 years ago. Their predictions have borne fruit Right now. Mm-hmm. So if someone's been correct about their data interpretation, the predictions for the next ten years, you can be pretty sure they're going to be right if not on the cautious end. Yeah. Yeah. And everything that's happened around extreme weather events the last few months tells you they're right. Yeah. So don't don't ignore that stuff. And these climate risks are irreversible. You, you know, we don't have technological solutions mm-hmm. mm. to just pull this back at the moment. No. And so let's let's not kid ourselves. We have to prevent the rise. Mm-hmm. Um and the first recommendation that goes with that is act early. If it's if it's critical, act early and establish a sustainable development unit in WA Department of Health. Because mm-hmm. that's the catalyst for a whole lot of other stuff. Um so um like all good catalysts, it's small, it 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 gener- it kind of just levers up what everyone else is doing. Um but it will definitely speed things up. That's what a catalyst does. Mm-hmm. Without being you know, doing everything for all of the health services and for everybody. Everyone has to take the responsibility, and this is a little catalyst that sits and works there. And we've got a model in the UK Sustainable Development Unit. Mm-hmm. And the UK now, 10 years later, has really moved to the next step, which is having a whole National Health Service program based on the work. Now, we hopefully will be able to fast track, but we do need to start with a Sustainable Development Unit. That's my strong feeling. Mm-hmm. The second point is um, climate action is necessary for health system sustainability. So we've always talked about sustainability in terms of financial sustainability, um, but there's also um, workforce sustainability and um, environmental sustainability. So there's a little bit of a, and this is not in the findings and recommendations, there's a concept which people push around health in all policies. Won't go into that in too much detail, but I, I have a, um, a liking for a parallel concept, which is environment in all health policies. Mm-hmm. So rather than saying health should be thought about in everyone else's policies, and it kind of is already if you think about COVID and you yep. think about the amount of money we do put into health compared to other things. Yep. Mm-hmm. But what I think health should do is think about the environment in all of its policies. So that's a bit of a new concept. Yeah. Um, the, the third finding is around different West Australian regions exhibiting different environmental health impacts. So that's that picture. But saying, let's get this down to as local a level as we possibly can because that's where the action is as well. Mm-hmm. So the inquiry is full of stories about people who are making a difference in their own communities and regions, um, You know, addressing mental health impacts, working with kids, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Um, that we need continue to continue to reinforce connections between climate change and health. So one of the things the SDU just keeps banging on is climate change is a health issue. And if people, the general public actually responds well to that, Mm -hmm. it responds well to health leaders talking about climate change. So, um, you know, this is an important framing for good climate communication and getting people energised to do something positive Mm -hmm. um, about climate change. And the fifth one was around the health sector in WA, being close to the starting line in a race to reduce its mm-hmm. own emissions and waste so this is the 100 meters analogy I'm so fond of We're somewhere you know near the starting blocks here and instead of complaining or asking you know is it a hundred meters 105 meters what's the condition <laughs> of the track yeah. did I hear the starting gun go off or was that a noise in the crowd <laughs> mm-hmm. just start running just go yeah. Out, yeah. just go I don't mm-hmm. didn't recommend particular targets we're so st- at the beginning of this. Mm. We could, you know, spend a lot of time trying to create targets and reporting Mm -hmm. frameworks rather than just get going and see how far we can run.
0: Mm -hmm. Hi, we hope you're enjoying this episode of The Meaning of Health. Just a quick reminder that you can email us at outlook.com or tweet us at healthmeanswhat. And if you have a minute and you've enjoyed listening to this episode or any of the other episodes... It'd be great if you could go and rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. It helps other people find us. Now back to the show.
1: It's kind of similar to like, like, you know, personal experience writing journal articles and things like that. You just have to sit down and start writing and the editing comes later. <laughs> you, you know, it's yeah. the same kind of thing. If you start it, it's much easier along the like later it's, in line, it's but starting is the hard bit. It's the only
0: way to alleviate your anxiety is to start yeah. because you just get more and more anxious thinking about it and yeah. thinking about it, and it's when you start doing it that you realise that it is achievable. And, yeah, and
1: then you, then know, you can edit along bit. the way.
0: It's <laughs> a great analogy.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> God, what's, the first, what's the hardest draft to write? Gordon? It's the first one. The first one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. of course it is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and how, how many of your friends, you know, actually have a – 50% of people just can't write that first word mm. on the piece of paper, right? And, yeah, that's And you say, for God's sake, it doesn't matter if it's rubbish. Yeah. Just write yeah. something. Exactly. And then exactly. it becomes – as it's rubbish when you write it, but then it gives you something to, to – To change. Yeah. To change. So yeah. that's the same that's as your number point. five here yeah, is like, Just get just, going. Just get going, yeah. Get going. yeah. Stop, yeah. stop complaining. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah. Just do Write something, <laughs> right? Yeah. let Okay. Um, There's a whole series of things that you can strengthen adaptation. So – we didn't emphasise this as there's, there's a lot in the report about adaptation, but in terms of the findings and recommendations, um, adaptation is covered by public health, and we have been doing quite a lot in there. We do need mm-hmm. to do more. The bit that the health sector needs to do is reduce its own emissions. So mm-hmm. that was where I put the focus, though my expertise is in adaptation and public health, right? Um, so that is, of course, important, mm-hmm. but I just felt you have to choose where you're going to, emphasise the findings. That's the context, if you like. Um, The benefits of change far outweigh costs when health is factored in. So you can make a completely economic argument around this and it would still stack up, as we've just been talking about. But the health argument, when you think about the quality and quantity of life and factoring that in, Mm -hmm. clearly that then completely tips the scale on this. Um, Climate (laughs) risk is both strategic and operational. Now that's a little kind of small p political message. Mm -hmm. So, yes, there are a whole series of technical challenges and barriers and things we need to do, but it's also a strategic risk. That's a a message to boards, Mm -hmm. if you like, and to the people at the top end end of the system that you have a responsibility to manage your risk. Mm -hmm. And this is a material present risk. Um, And, you know, we have so much of our population living on the coast we have so much of our infrastructure, hospital and health infrastructure, on the coast, um, that that's uh, you talk to country health service managers, facilities managers. They are well aware of this. So, in the planning of our new facilities, in the maintenance of our um, assets, these are real material risks. Mm-hmm. Um, Good governance, clear metrics, and broad partnerships are the key to sustain change over time. So one of the things is, once you've got started, how do you continue? And we've seen some great efforts from South Metropolitan Health Service and WA Country Health Services, and I'm sure other health services in WA, but they're the ones I know of recently, Mm -hmm. who have had whole health system um, endorsing of new sustainability frameworks with clear leadership from their senior executives and call for champions throughout the um, workforce in those areas, mm-hmm. and mechanisms to capture people's input and stories and ideas, mm-hmm. and a real sense of positive change. Just so, to put in here, just to provide an example of that, yep.
0: that's in the report, um, the sustainable r- procurement in Cunderdon and Pindley. Yes. yes, correct. Do you want to just comment on that quickly as a good example of that?
2: Um, you've probably read it more recently than <laughs> okay, me. Yeah. And, go on,
0: you tell me. S- so so sustainable procurement, if I understand it, is about when you procure resources and assets and that sort of thing, they have to be sustainable from a, a climate point of view. And I think that those hospitals, when they were being built, that, that guided the their decision-making process.
2: Yeah, I think I think that's right. So um, there is the case example is in the report. Um, so one of the things is the upfront cost versus the whole-of-life costs. Mm. So when you build something, people often just focus on the cost of the initial build. Mm-hmm. But you've got to think that that asset has a life cycle. So hopefully it will last for 20 years or whatever the projection is. Mm-hmm. And you have to have maintenance costs all the way through that. Yep. And so the total cost is really the, the total over those 20 years, right? Yeah. And you can often, if you have a higher initial cost, you reduce your maintenance costs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you put in solar panels up front on your house, yeah. yes, it costs more, but you will save over the 20 years. And mm-hmm. they talk about the time it takes to return your investment, right? We all yep. do this calculation when we're thinking about solar panels or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. And so the same goes for big buildings. hmm um, so we should have whole-of-life accounting mm. yep. as opposed to just the initial front. But often the capital budget – so in government, there's an operational budget, mainly in health is salaries, yep. and a capital budget, which are separate, and mm-hmm. you're not allowed to move between the two. Right. But the capital budget is limited and is given to you on a one, two, three-year mm-hmm. um, basis – and doesn't factor in the longer term costs. Right. So you basically want to, if you want to build two things, you've got a million dollars, you just pick the two cheapest things that get you <laughs> in under that, right? right? You don't factor in the longer term. Now, yeah. that's being crude, and I'm sure people do it much more sophisticated than that. Yeah. But that's the basis of mm. it. Mm. So they made decisions when building those hospitals
0: that would mean the operational costs were lower going forward, even yes. though the front end costs might have been a bit higher at the start. Yeah. And, and probably... Took into account emissions and other things, and then
2: if you add in the emissions and the benefits there, and you know that's so much better. Yeah, and the other thing we have to think about is who do people want to work for? Mm -hmm. If we are environmentally sustainable organisations, people will want to work for us. If we're not, the next, you know, the the now generation won't want to work Mm -hmm. for that kind of organisation. You want to have a values fit. Yep. So you're doing everything you can at home to to reduce your environmental impact, and you come into work and it's not mirrored in any way, Mm. you might just look at some other organisation. Yeah. So it becomes a competitive, Mm -hmm. a legitimately competitive environment. Led by government in this case. Led by government in this case. And government can do so many things in its procurement. Yeah. yeah. It sets Mm -hmm. its standards because it's such a big part of, Mm. you know, um, part of the economy. Well, they have a big budget. They
0: have a big budget. So they can say, look, we'll reward you for your good practice as a, as a private company and we'll buy our stuff from you. This other company that we have bought from in the past isn't
2: keeping up with the times, and so maybe we're not inclined to buy from them. Yeah. And it can do it in a really fair way. Where mm-hmm. it can signal to the market as a whole this is the change in procurement over mm-hmm. the next couple of years. We're not going to introduce it tomorrow. Yep. We'll introduce it in six or twelve months' time, so you can reorganise mm-hmm. ahead of time. And we will be incredibly fair because government's always incredibly fair yeah. mm-hmm. in recruitment and procurement, etc. Yep. And so it has to have a level playing field because it's public money. Mm-hmm. So those signals sent out immediately causes everyone to realign, and it's a fair process. So. You know, Craig's company can't get an unfair advantage by, by having poorer standards than Courtney's company. Mm-hmm. Everyone has to be held to the same standards. Yeah. And so that's 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 a really good thing. So mm. we've talked about that, and then the last and and you know and equally important one is, Aboriginal stewardship is as vital now as in the past, mm-hmm. and we had a superb input from Aboriginal organisations mm. um, through this. Um, lots of really interesting conceptual and practical contributions. Mm. Um, That sector was so um, self-reflective about where it was and where it wanted to get to um, that it was energizing for the rest, you know, for everybody in the process. There was no sense of like um, there was a humility of approach which actually went to the depth of Mm. engagement with this inquiry. And there was so much to learn and I've, I've, you know, been privileged to be at Aboriginal um, Health Council of WA conferences since then, Mm -hmm. um, talked about the inquiry, had incredible kind of feedback about where that sector wants to go next. So one of the messages from this inquiry is that there are a whole set of partnerships out there for your government, which, you know, once the SDU gets set up or even before then, you can... You can partner with these groups who are now further on in their journey and are not expecting government to do everything. Mm-hmm. They will partner with you. It is everyone's responsibility. Um, and no one's seeking to blame. Everyone's just seeking to move. Yeah. Right. Can I, yeah, so
0: that, that's a, a good segue into a couple of things I wanted yep. to talk about with regards to the Aboriginal stewardship. Yep. um I'm curious to, to know if you observed a, a kind of a difference in attitude when you were consulting with the Aboriginal community because obviously their ideas of ownership are quite different to the to the Western constructs we have. They're very much community-minded and mm. communal ownership. No one really owns anything. We all own it together. Was that the sort of sense you were getting when you were talking to them? We all own the country together. We're responsible for it?
2: I'll be, I, I, I never want to speak about other people's experience. Right. And, and part of the report is... We've left the voices come through Mm -hmm. as much as we can. Mm -hmm. So one of the joys of this was to hear people's experiences in their own way, capture that. Mm -hmm. Um, And all of those stories are available through the website. So if you want to go and look at the submissions from the Aboriginal organisations, if you want to go and look at the formal hearings when their leaders came and talked to us for 45 minutes on the record, it's all transcripted, it's all there for you to get people's sense of their Mm -hmm. own Story. What the inquiry does is create a meta story in the middle. So here's all the data and evidence on one side. Here's what we need to do: the practical actions, the findings and recommendations. But in the middle, there's a story about Western Australia and who we are—a meta story. Mm-hmm. So one is we're a coastal people. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. that's. I know that sounds sick. I'm not particularly someone who's kind of off fishing and boating and stuff. But, you know, so that mm. but. We all, to some degree, love walking along the beach, mm-hmm. or it's part of who we are. Yeah. And so, there's an identity issue as West Australians where if we lose something along from climate change on our coastal erosion, that's more than just a physical thing. Mm-hmm. So, we need to understand who we are as people, you know, and um, we're also, you know, a, hopefully a generous, fair people who want to do our bit in the world, you know, don't want to make it unfairer for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all there's all sorts of senses of who we are, and fundamentally, who we are is is, is a, a people who who go back, you know, and have continuity with the oldest living civilization. Mm-hmm. That's who we are as Australians. Yeah. Right. That's not just who Aboriginal people are. Right. Yeah. It's who Australians are. Mm-hmm. You know, recognizing the particular um, contribution and and um, of Aboriginal people. So I'm not saying, I'm, I'm saying we can all enjoy yeah. that experience as yeah. Australians. The even if we're not the appreciation
1: of where we are and, and yeah. how we got here. How we got here, the
0: history. Yeah. Correct. And we're just living in a tiny snapshot of time compared yeah. to what
2: preceded us, really. Exactly. Yeah. But also kind of profoundly grateful for the mm. welcome and the welcome that, that the Indigenous people have given to us, mm. to yeah. all of us. Yeah. So every time there's a welcome to country it's incredibly meaningful. Absolutely. Um a meaningful welcome and it's a recognition of who we are and where we're standing on whose ground. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now that is about um, an identity about a place, about here, about a sense of presence, mm-hmm. about a recognition of the past guiding an attitude to the future. Yeah. So if we recognize where we are, we can look back on what we have on others who we you know we can have built our lives up upon their work, mm-hmm. and we can look future about how we want to be we want to leave it for for the next generation.
3: Yeah.
2: so Aboriginal people have have give us that, and they have done that without talking about climate change for as long as I've mm, you yeah. know, worked. and um so I specific, you know I, I used to work in Aboriginal health specifically for uh, many years in the territory, and then mm-hmm. and you know again, I had had some responsibilities for Aboriginal health in in West Australia, and it's been part of my life. Mm -hmm. When we started our our consultation with Aboriginal groups, people were saying things like, oh, we don't know about this climate change. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: But over a conversation... It was clear that people did know <laughs> about it. From their experience. From their yeah. experience.
0: So they and were describing things that were happening. They were describing
2: yeah. things that were happening. Yeah, okay. And we just had a name for it. Yeah. We just yeah. had this kind we've of name for it. it. Yeah. Um, so um, I won't single, single out people, but there yep. were some people who were incredibly important who have also written about it in their own words. Yeah. So um, um, Rhonda Clark um, and... Um, uh, Des Martin from the Aboriginal Health Council of Western Australia have written about this yep. in Crokey. Um I think you you refer to Anna Dwyer from, from Anna maybe, Dwyer from, from Broome. From Broom. Yep. 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 Um and each of them so Anna spent did actually did a, a kind of a study sitting in her home community, um, um up in the up in the Kimberley and documenting the actual impacts over, mm-hmm. you know, over a six month period mm-hmm. of of climate change. Mm. And it's a rare bit of work. It was done actually, you know, about 2013 or something um, when there was some funding for um, adaptation work in Australia, which Mm -hmm. then ceased. So we found all this work that was 10 years ago, which had just, again, got left. Right. Um, Anyway, um, we held a... um, I got help from Wendy Casey, who is head of Aboriginal um, health policy in the Department of Health. And she guided us through developing a specific Aboriginal consultation strategy, which we asked Mandy Gadsden to come in and run for us. And we had specific workshops. Um, We had three workshops, um, uh, Aboriginal consultation workshops, including one in Broome. And then in that one, you know, rangers came in and talked to us about what they were seeing on the land Mm -hmm. and the changes in the seasonal changes, in the flora and the fauna and their concerns about the drying up of water and whole series of things which they had observed year by year by year. Mm-hmm. And again, casting that as a health issue is very, very important and seeing those connections. Yep. So it's the beginning of a story. Mm-hmm. It's a, um, I'd love to see, you know, more um, engagement between the health and the land sectors, etc. cetera. Um, I'd love to see a modelling of the kind of humility mm-hmm. <laughs> that I saw, yeah. to be honest. Right. Rather than we know it all. Yeah. Like we don't know, but we're moving here. You wouldn't expect Aboriginal people to have all of the answers. Mm-hmm. So, like, we're not going to say, well, come on. You, you, Tell you, us how we, to fix we, this. We, we've, we've created, you know, <laughs> Europeans yeah. have created all the problems, but you can fix it for yeah. us. Yeah. That's kind of silly, but they're going to be part of. Um, the partnerships that we need. But the most, kind of, the most important thing for me is what you suggested, Craig, which is the sense of um, stewardship. Mm -hmm. So um, we end the report by talking about um, um, a quote um, from one of our workshops, which was um, looking back over the 3,000 generations and saying we hope that our future stretches ahead of us as far as the past stretches behind us. So that's three thousand generations, right? Right. So sixty thousand
0: years or something. Yeah. I think we've yeah. estimated, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. And, and there's there's a lot of evidence to suggest they've managed the land really well, you know, up until se- white settlers turned yeah. up. Yeah. Um, obviously, using fire and and other things over the years, over um, over the, over the, the millennia. <laughs> um, and it seems like there's a bit of a movement towards. Um, taking advantage of that knowledge again and embracing that knowledge again, but
2: it seems like it went missing for a, a while officially. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, yeah, and when you go back to the beginning of our conversation, you know, one generation is twenty years. Yeah, we're struggling at the moment to think forward half a generation, a quarter of a generation, mm. um, and we have, you know, people who can pick up on a tradition that goes back three thousand generations. Mm. So let's have a bit of humility here. Yeah. Maybe. And you're seeing this with now with traditional Aboriginal fire practices, burning <laughs> yeah. practices and the fire mm. season. Mm-hmm. You're having, seeing some incorporation of that knowledge. Yeah. Um, but
1: there's still so much more.
2: There's so much
0: more. And it's yeah. a year-round thing for them. Yeah. You know? And it's, it seems like ch- when not to burn is just as important as when to burn and, and that sort of mm-hmm. thing, you know, when to let things overgrow and when not to. And yeah. There's a guy called Bill Gamage who's an academic at, uh, ANU, where yeah. it used to be, yeah. um, here's a book, the biggest estate on earth. You yeah. may have read it. Yeah, and it's yeah. fascinating uh, talking about this stuff yeah. using artwork from the early settler times. Yeah, that
2: shows what the land looked like when they all arrived. Yeah. So Rondo was Rondo is, is uh, yeah pre- presented the inquiry with um, a a painting mm-hmm. which is it reproduced in the inquiry report, and which was kind of based on the and you can read the story, but it's. You know, what if we saw climate change as, as a disease? Mm-hmm. You know, how is this impacting us? And it's, it's displayed in this beautiful painting. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's that sense of there's other ways of knowing. You might get the realisation, not from, you know, hearing some geezer like me talk on a podcast, <laughs> but just like, <laughs> you know, yeah. looking at something mm-hmm. or listening to someone else and believing them. So when this ranger guy tells you, or girl, you know, or person says, "I've noticed the change over the last thirty years," and I've been out there, mm. you believe them. You mm. don't go, "Oh, what do you know?" Because <laughs> I prove don't have it to, me. Prove <laughs> <it> to <laughs> me. I don't <laughs> have the data, and you know, yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. just maybe there is something there. Yeah. Um,
1: well, I f- yeah. my kind of personal uh, idea on that is that every piece of scientific evidence comes from anecdotes and people's observations and yeah. things like that and it is that's the start of change so well, it's people believing the stories yeah, yeah.
0: hypotheses are generated from experience yeah and then people are is this does this translate to the rest of the population yeah. what i've just experienced let's have a chat about it and that's how we organize all these groups and have these discussions and mm. that seems to be how <laughs> aboriginal people pass their knowledge on is by talking to the next generation and then they pass
2: it on to the next generation and so forth yeah. Mm. So people made totally so this is the conversation about theories of scientific knowledge, right? Yeah. yeah. And the whole notion that science starts with, you know, Western science, you know, you know, post Renaissance or something. Yeah. And yeah. Just, you know, <laughs> it's just rubbish. Yeah. yeah. People have been human beings are learning machines. Mm. Yeah. Okay. We learn through speech. Mm. We learn through, you know, all sorts of mechanisms and mm. we learn through trial and error is the most mm-hmm. basic form of learning. Mm-hmm. Right, you don't put your hand next to, <laughs> <you're> next <laughs> exactly, to the fire. Yeah. You, know, you, you did it once, and you burnt your fingers. And people actually have done this stuff at a at a group level. Mm. And think about most of the developments; people were navigating across across oceans mm-hmm. pre pre industrial revolution. I can tell yeah. you, you know, if it's like amazing what we can do through observation of the sky and of the seasons, etc. Mm. And um, there's all sorts of all sorts of um, most of the advances human beings have made have been pre-industrial revolution and then we yeah. had a whole lot of really great tech that's come since yeah. then, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. but, um, <laughs> and so Western science it. is great, but it's mm-hmm. not the only form of knowledge. Mm. Exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah. No, We're probably getting towards the end of our chat. Um, yeah. Was there anything else that you wanted to raise, Courtney? i have sort of hog the floor for the last <laughs> few minutes.
1: <laughs> no, I, I guess I think the main thing for our listeners is um, with these new reports coming out soon, this intersection between all these important climate change meetings and this inquiry here. This inquiry is actually a very, very good read um, and you can go back to it in different sections and you can read a paragraph by itself and it's it's a really yeah. easy read um, and it is also very hopeful. So there's a lot of challenging stuff in it, but mm. there there is a sense of hope. And I, I do encourage everyone to actually spend some time to read this and and really understand what it's like for WA people.
0: Just pick apart the the topics that at first interest you. And as you start reading those topics, you'll see that there's other things that pop up and that, that, you know, on the pages, there's reference made to the different parts of the report that also intersect with what you're reading. The other thing which I'll briefly raise was yesterday we were in a meeting at the school and they suggested Mm. that there were data available for people who maybe wanted to do research based on what the evidence that you guys collected. Um, Do you just want to let people know where they might be able to find that?
2: Yeah, I'm really keen that um, local WA students and others delve further into this resource. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, um, there are 150 written submissions which are on the website and there's, 34 hours of transcripts on the website. Now, no one in their right mind would go through all of them. (laughs) (laughs) But let's say you're interested in your employer or a particular angle, which is maybe disability or Aboriginal issues or whatever. You can find those particular um, um, hearings or transcripts, Mm -hmm. the particular submissions. You can pull it out and then you can read other stuff. You know, there'll be stuff in the state climate policy or this or that. And you can um, do your own research and have your own ideas and and trigger further conversations with people mm-hmm. based on what you find here. Mm. Um, and so what I was suggesting to uh, you know through um, David preen at this at the School of Population and Global Health is, you know how you have students who want to do a year's research. Mm-hmm. Yep. Often the hardest thing is getting the ethics approvals and getting the data, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yep. so this would be a matter of it's probably a bit more qualitative research, though mm-hmm. you can add in quantitative elements if you go and find the data yourself. Mm-hmm. but yep. there's a whole lot of um stories and information and submissions here, which would be the the basis of you of your thesis. You don't need any ethics permission because people Sorry. are already given the ethics permission. It's all out there in it's the public. available, yeah. And you just take a, your own angle through this. Mm-hmm. And you can come up with your own ideas about what could be done mm-hmm. and what further needs to be done. And it's a beautiful small thesis. Mm-hmm. But it's also particular to WA. Mm-hmm. Let's say you know much more about the coast than I do. You know, and you really want to take that coastal angle. There's stuff there from local governments who have organised themselves around coastal erosion. There's, you know, um, stories of people who have been affected by that. And then you might go, well, I'd like to add add in other material that comes from other sources and mm-hmm. come up with a more complete story. Yeah. Whatever you want to do, but yep. that material, it's free, it's available. There's it's no restrictions on It's ready. And it's West Australian. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And... You know, we're the only place in the whole world that's ever done a statutory inquiry a year long into mm-hmm. the impacts mm-hmm. of climate change on health with all the material there for yeah. you. Yeah.
1: yeah. This is novel and exciting and yeah. great project for, for a student yeah. coming in. Yeah.
0: yeah, Yeah, and the added benefit of having people work with those data is that it puts the report back in the spotlight and hopefully maybe influence other jurisdictions
2: to follow up and do the same thing. I hope so. I, I, yeah. I did, you know, there's, um, it's been a bit slow, I have to say, in mm-hmm. terms mm-hmm. of follow-up because of the COVID. So yeah. let me let me be frank about yeah. that. And I was hoping as well that other states and territories would pick up this idea. Yeah. Um, not so far, but you never know after the next few months whether mm-hmm. that will be something or whether it gets picked up more nationally or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but if what you said, um, Craig, around the best thing to alleviate anxiety is to do something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you actually want to do your project in this area and come up with some positive suggestions. This is a good starting point. This is a really good starting point. Mm. Don't, you know, you're here, you're living in Western Australia. How can you help here Yeah. as the first point? Yeah. Well, at least have a look at this stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you want to do something (laughs) else, that's fine, read it. But (laughs) don't ignore it because this was, you know, carefully put together from the inputs of hundreds of people across the state. Mm Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, that sounds
0: like a great note to finish up on. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks very much for your time. It's been excellent, Taryn. Pleasure, yeah, Craig's it's always a
2: pleasure, Courtney.
0: Thank yeah. you very much. And it's fun. I'm glad we were really able to dig into the, the report after the last podcast. Oh,
1: yeah. Absolutely. <laughs>
0: yeah. But uh, yeah, we've already flagged a potential future podcast on some <laughs> of your current work that you're doing, which is yet to be made public. Yep. Um, but yeah, that's for a future episode. Okay. Have yeah. a great day. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, thank you. you. And that was our conversation with Taran mathri
1: I am blown away by just how much knowledge he has on on this topic and the the passion behind his messages. Like you can just see the amount of effort that he's put into this inquiry and, and the belief of the scientists and the, the knowledge and the the data and all that kind of stuff. It's just yeah, fascinating.
0: Yeah. And you know, aside from, from this you know, the traditional um Western science, you know, his approach at going in and speaking to people in the communities and particularly in the Aboriginal communities and you know getting the benefit of their experience and their observations about what's happening because not everybody goes out there and asks them what that what they're noticing is going on with climate and with the land and that sort of thing
1: Exactly, which is crazy because they're there they can see it and they have the stories of yeah. everyone in their families and you'd be able to record such a such a story from their voices. yeah,
0: yeah. so it's
1: and, so important that he's done that.
0: I know and it's sixty thousand years of culture exactly. That you know, has been passed on through the generations for them to draw on as well. That inform their observations today. Yeah. So yeah, fascinating um, chat. We'd love to hear people's reactions. Yeah, yeah Please. definitely.
1: And if you have a look through the report as well, we would love to to hear your thoughts on some of the the recommendations and findings and whether you find anything interesting about it. I know like when I was looking through this report, they have a section on resilience and and I guess for me with uh, my background in psychology, kind of the the leading theme in psychology is personal resilience, mm. and then there's this idea of community resilience and, and world resilience and environmental resilience that just really was a very interesting area to kind of read about in this report. So yeah, yeah, if you have a read of it, let us know which bits you find interesting. Yeah.
0: And and as Taryn said towards the end there, if you're a student that really is passionate about this and interested in it, and you want to use some of the data that that Taryn and his team have collected for their, for their report... Um, that's available and yeah. get in touch with us because we can...
1: We can help facilitate that that yeah. research for you. Um, yep. Considering we're both nearing the end of our PhD, there is an opportunity for us to help you with that research as well yeah. um, and we can get the the right people on board. So if you do want to be involved in WA-specific, impactful climate change research, mm-hmm. this would be a very good project.
0: Yeah, So you can email us at at outlook.com. That's right. You can tweet us at.
1: At health means what?
0: Excellent, on Twitter. And uh, yeah, but we were talking about setting up an Instagram. Maybe we'll do that at some point.
1: Yeah, yeah, we should do that at some point. Um, Yeah, yeah, we'll have to think about what we want to post on Instagram. I I feel Mm. like we could very much do something like the ABS Instagram. theirs is very good for like a research kind of Mm-hmm. Uh, Instagram page. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, we should do it, but yeah, we'll have to think about it. <laughs> yeah, excellent.
0: message us with your ideas anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, thanks very much for your time, Courtney.
1: Thank you, Craig.
0: And we'll speak to everyone else soon. The Meaning of Health podcast is produced with the support of the School of Population and Global Health and the Education Enhancement Unit at the University of Western Australia. The podcast is produced by Craig Cumming and Courtney Webber with music by Craig Cumming.